Well, history was made 2015, largest sale at an art auction ever. The piece that was sold was Pablo Picasso's Women of Algiers, sold for an incredible $179 million. What happened two years ago was something that absolutely, though, stunned the entire world. Two years ago, just before Christmas, that record was shattered. Nothing's even come close. The biggest art sale of all time. It was a piece by Leonardo da Vinci that people had thought was lost in history. In fact, over the past 500 years, it would vanish for decades at a time. At one point, it was lost for 150 years. And it would just appear and somebody would have it. Mystery where it would be at those times. It was discovered again in the early 2000s and then sold at auction just before Christmas 2017. The Salvatore Mundi that Leonardo da Vinci painted, it was a painting of Jesus Christ. And that painting sold for an incredible $450 million dollars. Today, it's a mystery who bought the piece or where it is. Once that person bought it, it's now, again, location unknown. But what's incredible, again, is just seeing that it's the picture of Christ that is the most valuable piece in all of history because he is the life that is truly life. And we're going to look at something today for those that maybe are struggling to see that life in this time of year, or for those who want more of that life in this time of year. And we're going to look at something that is said about Christ 518 BC by the prophet Zechariah. It's important to understand that Zechariah is very specific in who he is writing to, and it applies to us now here today. And what had happened is Israel, they had been taken into captivity, slavery, for 70 years in Babylon. And they were there similar to when the children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt under Moses. Well, it happened again, and they're in slavery at Babylon. After 70 years, they are given their freedom. They're given their freedom to go back to Zion, the promised land, and rebuild the city. What's interesting, though, is that some left. Most people chose to stay in Babylon call for us today it is the same there's much temptation in babylon babylon if you read through scripture from genesis to revelation you'll see it's a symbol of false religion it's a symbol of worldliness it's a symbol of sin it was a literal city at different times but it fell two years after zechariah makes this prophecy and it still exists in a spiritual sense. It's the temptation to walk into sin. And again, the challenge is to leave Babylon and embrace the promised land. Dogen Heaster says, only a remnant left Babylon. Of them, only a remnant repented. For some, the glory of Babylon was more attractive than the hard work required to bring about Yahweh's, that's God's personal name, eternal glory in Zion. About 50,000 people left Babylon to go back to Zion or the promised land to rebuild Jerusalem. And Zechariah is going to speak to those people because they're getting discouraged because only a minority left Babylon. They're feeling the temptation to go back to sin. They're getting discouraged all the work that lies before them. And Zechariah is going to encourage them with very specific words about why it's important to keep pursuing holiness and the calling of God. 
Here's a beautiful example of the difference that pursuit makes. Mother Teresa, she spent 20 years as a principal in India. She had made a, a very nice salary. She saw people in desperate need, and she said she wanted to give her life to, to love some of the desperate people in the world. And that's what she then did. That became her ministry. One day she was in a particular village. She looked into a, a window and saw it was dark in this hut. She opened the door. There was a man sitting in the dark. He had a lamp, but he didn't light it. And so he said to her there in that tiny space, you know, why don't you light the lamp? And he responded, no one has ever come in here before. She sat in that small hut and just gave him kindness and compassion, shared the message of Christ. Years later, he would tell her, you lit the light in my life and it is still burning. Entering into the truth in Christ, those are the things that last. Babylon, there's a lot of temptation, but it doesn't last. And Dennis Davidson says it well, a man may be captive, captive to sin, but God expects him to leave it. And note what he says, though, very clear, even if that state may be easiest upon his earthly existence. So, leaving Babylon... It may be where the majority is entering into the promised land. There's a lot of temptations to stay in Babylon, but let's take a look at what Zachariah says about the difference between things that last and things that don't last. Zechariah chapter 2, just verses 10 and 11. People are discouraged in Zion, thinking about leaving to return to Babylon. God shares this word to Zechariah to say this, shouts. And be glad, daughter Zion. Shout and be glad. Similar to what the angel is going to say, I bring you good news. Or when the shepherd saw the angels singing and there's this celebration. Same thing. Zachariah is told, shout and be glad. And he's told why. Because I will live among you, declares the Almighty. You know, it's challenging times for us today. It was a challenging time for Zachariah. And what God does, he reminds them of his presence that he's on the way to enter into their circumstance, though times may be uncertain, that he is the one that is the certain one. Charles Cunningham says it well, the greatest reason for that kind of revival is the presence of the Lord. You see, that's what matters most in life, that Christ is the one that we say he is the most valuable, most important part of my life. Again, what does that look like on a practical level? Here's an example from Rick Warren. He was visiting South Africa and he was with a, a minister and there was a particular family and they had been at odds for some time. Desperate, they came to this man and said, you know, what can we do? They were fighting. He said, I'll tell you what you do. You go get some bread. You get some wine. You pour that wine in a cup. You dip this bread in that cup and you apologize to each other days later rick warren would share that family they came back to see this minister complete change where they were laughing smiling so much love you see that's why we shout and be glad because his presence is there i am 
coming to live among you is what God promised in Zechariah. That promise fulfilled ultimately in Christ in Bethlehem. And again, to shout with joy to say, as Paul, as we quote so often, the mystery is now Christ in you, the hope of glory. So let's talk about how this plays out in life between husbands, wives, between families, and especially, again, considering some of the things about this time of year. Vital Smart did a survey to ask people what are the most stressful parts of the year. As Chris Hardy said, Christmas is the best time of year until it becomes the worst. What do people say? Number three on the list of the top three, they're overwhelmed with the chaos of schedules and crowds. My wife and I were at the grocery store just uh, last night, very busy, and we started to go to the checkout line, and we started to go to this particular line, and somebody saw us heading that way, and a person literally ran to get in front of us. And I, you know, I looked at my wife, and I said, you know, it's the, the holiday season. We'll just have to be patient. We stood in line. There were people everywhere. Out of nowhere, an employee comes up and he says, excuse me, sir, I'll take you down at the register at the end. I looked at him and I looked at all the people and I said, are you sure about that? He said, absolutely. Just follow me. I won't even turn the light on so nobody's going to know that register's open. And so sure enough, I follow him. We go all the way down past several registers and he's in front of me a few feet and he says, Come on in here as he turns into the aisle. And before I could even turn in, there were just a few feet between me. Two people on both sides on the other aisles backed up and shoved their carts in front of mine and started to unload on the conveyor belt. Now, fortunately, the employee looked at them and he said, excuse me, I opened this register for that man. And you would have thought he was speaking a foreign language. They didn't understand. They thought it was just, you know, the gloves are off, do whatever you have to do. And he had them move out of the way and take their stuff off the conveyor belts. And they just stood there stunned as he told them to please step out of the way. And I moved up and checked out. And I told him, you know, thank you for keeping your word. I really appreciate that. And he said, I always do what I can to make sure I do what I say. We're all overwhelmed. There's the chaos of schedules. There's crowds and people don't often have their best behavior. One of the things, again, we'll see here in these promises of Zechariah for us today, what that means for us, even in the midst of the chaos. Uh, number two, people say the stressful parts of the holiday is going broke giving gifts. Concern also that you're giving the right one. A lot of people are, are putting a lot uh, of just uh, pressure on themselves to make sure that they show up with the right gift or they have the right one for their children. But we're going to look at number one. Number one, challenging family dynamics. Challenging family dynamics. So I'm going to talk just for a moment here to husbands and wives. And if uh, you're not married, you can listen to this as well to think about relationships and perhaps a relationship that lies before you or to share some of this with other people you know. But uh, anybody can identify with this. But let's talk about some things in family dynamics. And if you're a husband and a wife, Neil Warren did uh, several surveys to see what is it that men say that upset women and vice versa. So if you say these things or something like this, your Christmas gift here, I'm asking you to commit to, to say to your spouse, my gift to you 
is to not say these things any longer. So here's the things that men say that upset women the most. You don't know what you are talking about. Uh, Next one, I'll do it later. You don't understand. Next, that makes no sense at all. Followed by, where'd you get that idea? Don't be so emotional. Then it costs too much. Didn't you check? And the number one thing men say that upsets women, you are just like your mother. All right, let's look at women and see the things that they say that upset men. I'll be ready in a minute. Followed by ask for directions. Do you want me to repeat myself? If you would have listened the first time, then there's turn off the TV when I'm talking to you. You have a one track mind. Don't you care? Top two, the kids learn that from you. And number one, you were not like that before we got married. So again, stop and say, if I've said some of these things, my gift is going to be to not say things like that. Rob Bell did a great study about words about relationship found in the Hebrew language. And just briefly, there are three words. You don't have to try to remember the the three Hebrew words. I'll give them just quick, but remember the concepts here. The first one is reya, means friendship. Second is ahava, which means a committed relationship where there's an emotional or romantic connection. And then third, there's dod, physical intimacy. And so you need all three of those to have a healthy relationship, a friendship with an emotional romantic connection, with commitment, and then the physical intimacy. So for instance, if a couple have friendship, but there's no commitment and there's no physical intimacy, well, that's just called being roommates. Or say there's commitment, but there's no longer a friendship. There's no longer intimacy. That's a couple just holding on for the sake of holding on. Or if there's a physical connection only, but there's no commitment, there's no friendship, then you simply have two bodies and ultimate emptiness. You see, one of the things to make this time of year a a healing time is what Zacharias said, shout and be glad, I come to live among you. And because of Christ, the most valuable part of our life, his love then pours through us and we have different type of thinking. We have a different type of living that's not Babylon, but it's the promised land life. You wanna have a relationship that's healthy Make sure you're truly friends. Make sure there's a commitment and make sure there's the the intimacy as well. And if there's not, you can stop and just say, you know what? Before we go any further into this holiday season, I want to stop and say, you know, when did we stop becoming friends? Or when did we lose that commitment? Or when did the intimacy die? And say, I'm going to commit to all three of these things to see all the difference in the world in our relationship. You know, here's a, here's a great trivia piece that you can share at, at Christmas dinner. And it's true for the last five years, they've been keeping track of this. And it's true this year and every year, the past five years. But uh, more people die every year. And more people died last year. Taking selfies than by shark attack. 
Now, what are people really afraid of at the top of the list is, is being attacked by a shark. More people die taking selfies than ever by a shark attack. You see, what are people desperate for? These are emotional bids for affection. It's emotional bids to say, does somebody see me? Does somebody notice me? Do I have somebody's approval? Is anybody paying attention? And that's true for all of us. That's why each of us in that kingdom life can be that light like Mother Teresa. And in the most important relationships in family to say, you know, with husband and wife to restore friendship, commitment, physical intimacy. Maybe starting with some better questions. Again, for spouses, but for families, number one, to just ask your wife, your husband, what am I doing that I need to stop doing? Number two, what am I not doing I need to start doing? And number three, what am I doing that you want me to keep doing? As we quote often, 2 Corinthians 1.20 the important part of understanding leaving Babylon and entering the promised land is what's said here by Paul. All the promises of God are yes in Christ, and we say amen to the glory of God. All the promises, but you have to know what those promises are. You have to spend time studying that. There's thousands of them in Scripture, and to say, you know what, that promise is yes, because Jesus is in my life. He entered into the world. That's why we shout and be glad. That's why it's the good news. All the promises of God are yes in Christ. Everything going back to Genesis, what was promised to Abraham because we are his descendants, that promise is for you, for me. All the promises, yes, but you have to know them, claim them, believe them. Here's some statements about that very promise that Paul just spoke of. Charles Elcott, the promises of God have been fulfilled and ratified in Christ. He was, as it were, a living incarnate amen to those promises. Amen means to let it be so. Alexander McLaren said Jesus Christ is, as it were, the confirmation and seal of God's promises because he entered into your life and my life. He's the promise then that all those blessings are yours and mine when we walk out of Babylon and enter into the promised land. Dallas Willard says it so just clearly when he states, the kingdom of God is never in trouble. That's what it is, again, to shout and be glad. Notice what happens next, Zechariah 2.10. Many nations will be joined with the Almighty and will become my people. The promise wasn't just for a few. It wasn't just for the disciples. It wasn't just for those in Zechariah's time. It's whosoever will, nation to nation, continent to continent, country to country, heart to heart, becoming the people of God. Brandon Heath was sharing about sitting in a restaurant. He's a musician and a writer. And he was talking with a friend and looking around and seeing people in the city. And he thought, you know, there's challenges people face. There's problems. He said, what if we just had a different perspective? And he wrote these words to his best-selling song. And here's the words he wrote. And this could be a great prayer for each of us. Brandon Heath said this, give me your eyes just for one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. To just pray, you know, God, give me your eyes for a second. Even in the busyness 
of people not acting very kindly in a grocery store or in a family gathering or in a marriage where maybe it seems like hope is lost. Give me your eyes for just one second. We end with Zechariah 2.11 where the promise is restated. I will live among you and you will know the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Zacharias then has a vision and he sees a man measuring around the promised land. And he says, what is that man measuring? And he realized he's measuring where the walls of the city would go. Remember, Jerusalem had been destroyed. They're rebuilding everything, especially the temple. And he sees the city walls being measured at least where they would go. And he's told by God, run and tell that man, stop measuring. He says, why tell that man, stop measuring? And he says, because Jerusalem is going to be a city without walls. There's going to be so many people there. Now, a city without walls in that time and a city that was vulnerable, a city that could be attacked, a city that could be destroyed, a city that could be invaded. It's a metaphor for our life. Jerusalem is the spiritual promises. Zechariah 2.5 is the reason that man was told to stop measuring for the walls. Zechariah 2.5 says, I myself will be a wall of fire around it. You see, that's your life and that's my life and the promise therein. That's why I shout and be glad. Because I will live amongst you. And I'm going to be a fire, a wall of fire around your life. And everything that's going to get to you, God promises, is going to have to go through him. Because now he's entered into our life and he literally dwells in our midst. The mystery Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, Babylon with all the trappings, Babylon falls moment to moment. But what doesn't change is the promise of Christ, who's the same yesterday, today, forever. And he speaks into our moment, whether it's a valley moment or a mountain moment. And he says, here's the promise. I will be a wall of fire around your life. That's why. That's the promise for which we shout And be glad and embrace Emmanuel, God with us.